0: I love this game. I love this game. I have loved this game my entire life. There's nothing, nothing that takes me back to childhood, and I mean actual childhood, quite like great, great hockey. Good morning to you. Good Friday morning. I'm Dan Kovaciewicz of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this is Daily Shot of Penguins. It comes your way bright and early every weekday. If you're into football and or baseball, I also offer Daily Shots of Steelers and Pirates where you found this. Panthers 3, Hurricanes 2 at almost 2 in the morning with Matthew Kachuk scoring with 12.7 seconds left in the fourth overtime. It was the sixth longest game in National Hockey League history. And even everything I just shared with you, doesn't begin to summarize the caliber of this hockey. My first significant impression from Game 1 of the Eastern Conference Final came probably about a period and a half in when I saw how tight the checking was, how hard the compete level was for every single puck. It's one of the things that Mike Sullivan talks about a lot as it relates to the Penguins. His measure of a good hockey game, and you can hear it in his voice, is when the teams are really going at it for each individual puck battle. That's what this was from the first shift to the very last. I don't even think the Hurricanes did anything really wrong on the winning goal. Brent Burns backhanded the puck up the boards. Jacob Slavin wasn't able to do anything with it because Sam Bennett, big boy, beat him there. Bennett feeds it out to Kachuk. Kachuk shoots against his own body, top shelf, past Freddie Anderson. It's the perfect type of goal to end an absolute classic like that. You don't want it to be on the other team screwing up. You don't want it to be some fluke that bounces off four people. And ideally, it's a great player who scores it. Check, check, and check. My second thought about this game earlier, much earlier, regulation, was that these are the two best teams in the Eastern Conference. Please, please, please spare me the Boston Bruins, okay? You don't get out of the first round. You're DQ'd. You were not that. I don't care that they had injuries and whatever else. That's just part of the game. If you want to talk about injuries, let's talk about the Hurricanes' injuries, So the Bruins don't belong in this conversation. They just don't. The regular season doesn't count. If it did, you'd still see a banner celebrating the 1993 Stanley Cup champion Penguins, their third cup in a row. Oh, yeah, that's right. That never happened. And the Bruins didn't win it this year. And actually, they didn't even really come close. What you're seeing right now are the two best teams in the East and the two teams that probably – espouse the type of play to which Sullivan aspires the Penguins to be playing. He just doesn't have the players, and sometimes when he does have the players, he doesn't use the right ones. But these two teams, they are where they belong. They might be, time will tell on this, the two best teams in the National Hockey League. As I look at the other side of the bracket. The stars and golden knights will get going tonight, and I, I don't see either of those teams being what either of the Eastern teams are. There's just no room; you can't breathe. They're aggressive without being dumb. They pinch without ever giving up. Odd man breaks, and you know, I've given it up for Sergey Bobrovsky. Although I've certainly tormented him as much as every Pittsburgher has over the past few years. But I'll give it up just as much uh, today to Freddie Anderson. I'd never seen that version of him. And in fairness, you always need to get out of Toronto to be your best self in a playoff setting. Obviously. And Anderson was just, he was Bob's match all night. All night. Beat on the winner? Yeah, Beat again by a great shot against his body by a great player. And my third and final thought when this was all done was, wow, wow, I love this game. I, I can go back to, I'm going to start dating myself here, but I can go back to staying up all night long to watch the Capitals and Islanders when Patrick LaFontaine took that shot, that long range shot to beat Bob Mason and watching Mason drop to one knee in the net. And those of you who go way back in hockey know exactly what I'm talking about. You can even visualize it. I go back to covering the game at the Civic Arena that went five zillion overtimes and Keith Primo of the Flyers. Scored on what, by the way, was a really similar looking shot to the one Kachuk scored on. Compare the two seriously, it's, it's pretty striking. I remember walking home from the Civic Arena so hungry. There was no food in that whole place. The Penguins had ordered some pizza from a downtown establishment. And they brought a whole bunch of pies, all of them went to the locker rooms, understandably. And those guys scarfed that down to consume whatever carbs they could. No one was prepared for this. Uh, that's more of a normal thing now, but it wasn't then. I covered Chris Kunitz in overtime against the Senators. Covered the Penguins and Louis Domingue <laughs> beating the Rangers in Game 1 of their series up at the Garden last year. And there's just something about these games that's always hit me a certain way my whole life it's the only sport where you can just play forever and i know you can make that argument about baseball but it doesn't happen every once in a blue moon in hockey it goes this long and this one almost went to a fifth overtime And to see the players giving everything, to see them literally, in some cases, bleeding out there for their causes, to see the shots of the crowd, to see fans in Raleigh, Raleigh, North Carolina, living and dying by their team. Uh, There's a lot of emotions involved, including what all of this means for the growth of hockey in the South, to have all four of the semifinalists be in Las Vegas or South, to have almost the same level of emotion for the losers as you do for the winners, to try to picture what that must be like to compete that hard for that long and come up short, to try to imagine what these guys are going to have to go through to be ready for game two in a couple nights, which, by the way, will be the worst game of the entire Stanley Cup playoffs. Take that to the bank. Uh, I love this game. I I don't have much for you in the way of heavy philosophy this morning. I don't. I, I, I I love the great, great sport of hockey. When we come back, J1Q. One cube comes from Cody who says, "Hey DK, is it possible for the new general manager to give Jeff Carter an ultimatum that he could either waive his no-movement clause and actually play for another team or if he stays in Pittsburgh, he'll just ride the pine for the entire season. Do you feel Carter would rather end on his own note playing hockey somewhere else?" You can wish that, Cody. I know what you're doing there, man. You're trying to you're trying to hope it into existence by asking about it. Carter after the season was done stated that his intention is to come back, that he loves the team, loves the everything. Nothing at all about moving, nothing at all about retiring, nothing at all about waving anything. And there's no current GM, so any answer that I give you won't come with much substance. Can a GM come in and have a candid discussion with him? Sure, sure. But in the process, do you risk alienating the guy, making him mad? What if, and just hear me out here. What if there was something that Carter was playing through and he wasn't about to tell people like me, as you saw from his demeanor with reporters over the course of the season? And you see what I'm saying? The most important thing that any incoming executive can do, and this goes for the GM, the assistant GM, whoever it is that they hire underneath them, and of course, to the very top, if they end up going with a two-headed management team to the head of hockey operations they have to come in and learn they have to ask a lot of questions they have to study a lot of film they have to study a lot of analytics they have to have it put together in an organized form or fashion they have to have a plan that's formulated even in advance of the interview process but they have to have a plan that becomes specific to pittsburgh in very short order And part of that, a big part of that, I believe, is going to be dealing with Carter and Mikhail Granlund and maybe even Jeff Petrie. Because if you add these three guys up, my goodness, I mean, they're taking up $15 million of cap space between them. That's wow. I mean, that handcuffs everyone, everyone involved, every position that I just mentioned. So it is going to have to be dealt with and it is going to have to be dealt with, Among the first chronological priorities. But where Carter is concerned, you know, you can't come in and introduce yourself to somebody, shake their hands, and then threaten them. You're not going to get anywhere. There has to be some semblance of diplomacy to the task. Uh, Not because you need to be nice to the guy while you're trying to get rid of him. There just has to be a way to carry yourself or else word of that gets out to the rest of the locker room and everything else here. I, I can feel right now, Cody, that you're rolling your eyes as I'm saying this, but this is, this is real. This is not uh angry fan comes in and yells at Carter. This is a real setting. And it's one of the many reasons that I keep advising caution when Social media goes berserk over whoever it is, whichever candidate it is, happens to be connected to advanced analytics. Oh, that must be the genius. That's the one we want. Eric Tulsky is the genius of the hurricanes. Don Waddell gets absolutely no credit for anything that happens in Raleigh. It's all about Tulski. Why? Because he's the advanced analytics guy. What we don't know about Tulski, even if he's like the ultimate guru, and even if he's the one that hand-picked all of their best acquisitions, what we don't know is if he's a leader. These are not givens. These are not traits where one necessarily accompanies the other. And from there, I'll often see that the that the position that gets taken is, well, bring in Tulski as the GM and then bring in some rough and tough hockey person to be the president of operations or whatever. I'm sorry. That's just not how it works. The GM is the one that has to make the hardest calls. The GM is the one that has to have that sit down that you're describing with Carter, with Grandland, with Petrie, with Sid, meaning about how things are going to look on this team, uh, with the head coach. There has to be an experience slash leadership component To this job. I really, really believe that. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone who listens to this show. More than anything, I appreciate every last one of you who would have stayed up to watch that entire game. Let's do this again Monday. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks.